Hey, everybody, welcome and welcome back to group. Happy to have you guys here for another episode. And we are bringing back Sam and Lady D to to the conversation today that we're going to have. But first and foremost, I want to check in with all the listeners, make sure you guys are in a good space. Today's conversation is going to be pretty passionate. We're going to be talking about uh, self-reflection and uh, a lot of things in terms of how we learn our own identities in regards to our family structures. If you haven't already, check out the the other episodes. I think we're on episode four or five. Just check out the episodes before. It's kind of like a piggyback onto some of the things that we talked about in the past. So yeah, thank you for being here. Make sure that you subscribe. Uh, we're going to kind of just keep this going. If you're listening to this on Instagram, of course, we're limited in how many minutes we can post on Instagram, but we are streaming on all platforms and soon we'll be on iHeartRadio, y'all. Yeah. I'm working on it. I'm working on some things. But <laughs> um, for free access, you can always check out check us out on Anchor and you can go to robertstmichael.com to find those links to the anchor as well as YouTube, our episodes will be streaming this the audio on the YouTube as well. So on the YouTube, I'm getting so old. Did I just say the YouTube <laughs> on the YouTube? <laughs> so yeah, I just want to um, check in with y'all. I know we've all had like quite the week, <laughs> so I wanted to see how y'all are doing, how y'all are feeling today, how uh, what's new. What type of space we in? Is, is we giving vibes? What's going on? Shout out to Lady D for coming in a full Halloween costume. <laughs> so yeah, how y'all how y'all feeling? How's how's life? Life is life in <laughs> right now. Life is definitely <laughs> life in. I think a lot of people are in like really very retrospective space space and just like a place of like reflection and it kind of happens like that towards the end of the year um because you start to reflect on your whole year starts to you know start to look at the goals that you set and if you accomplish them and you know you kind of do that whole dance in preparation for the new year so it's it's just it's just that kind of you know that space it's like it's like a it's like a soul audit Mm-hmm. So, the, yeah. the end of the year identity crisis. Yeah. <laughs> Who am I? Where am I? What am I worth? Yeah. Have I done what I'm supposed to do? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody talks about the holidays as like the identity crisis time, but that definitely is a fact. As soon as you're starting to come into your new year, you're like, what did I do? And it seems like as you get older, the year just flies by so much faster. <laughs> like, Listen, let me tell you something. We was just in January. I don't understand how we're approaching. Just a piece of New Year. Mm-hmm. Just take down the Christmas tree. Mm. <laughs> like it's crazy. What about you? How you how how you doing over there? I'm is tired. I'm is tired. I wake up every day, and I'm just like, didn't I just go to sleep? What all happening? How am I just getting I just went to sleep. I don't want to say life is kicking my butt, but life is kicking my butt. (laughs) But I'm just honestly trying to 
not like get swallowed up. You know what I mean? I'm sitting here and I'm thinking positive thoughts and I'm throwing out every affirmation I could think of. I'm praying. I'm just, I'm here and I can't complain too much because I'm alive. Everything. Mm. You know what I mean? Roof over my head, you know? Yeah. I've been heavy in the gratitude space, trying to just focus on, you know, the things that you have in your life, the things that are going as expected, or even the things that didn't go as expected, but worked out, you know, because a lot of our emotions is going to travel where our attention is, you know, and so there's always presence of good and bad. It's just a matter of where your attention is and, you know, what you want yourself to experience in the moment. So the same with me, life has definitely been life and changes has been changing, mm. but I'm just trying to, I always say in business, plan the work, then work the plan. I, I'm, I try to do that with my personal life and my emotions as well. I say, okay, well, this is my intention. This is the strategy. This is the timing. So now let me be emotionally invested in something else because I know what I'm going to do already. And I can't control it beyond that. So, yeah. Well, to kick our conversation off today, I wanted to talk a little bit about this concept called psychological mirrors. And anytime I'm doing work with anyone, I always like try to learn what their psychological mirror is. From to me, what I describe as a psychological mirror is like when you are drawing understanding of yourself, who you are, and how you see the world. Your mirror is kind of like what you wake up to in terms of that reality. Like your understanding of the world is shaped by something. And so a psychological mirror is the thing that shapes your understanding, whether that's understanding of yourself, other people. If you think of it like looking at the world is kind of like your 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 camera lens, you know, like what camera lens do you have? And often the work that I do with people is about understanding that camera lens and, and switching it out for better lenses, honestly. Some of them are just dated and they don't work properly. So yeah, I wanted to um just do kind of like an energy check and talk about some of the talk about our strengths talk about how talk about some of those lenses that we have that benefit us in the world how we've learned to earn those lenses how we've earned to learn earn to how we've learned to earn the perspective that benefits us and helps us in life particularly like what are some things that have been beneficial to you this past week how have you been using yourself as a tool for good as a tool for greatness what can you appreciate about yourself in like the past week or so? Even though we haven't, I feel like we, I don't know why, but as a week passed, it feels like it's been like a whole month. I don't know why. It just feels like so much time has passed, but just like take a moment and think about how you served yourself for 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 the better this past week. And I will kind of start off our little check-in for me. I think that as far as my psychological mirror, I've been very quiet. I've been in a place of approaching the world and myself as an opportunity to learn something I didn't know before. And that's helped me because it takes the 
judgment and the assumption out of the experience. It takes the expectation, you know, in terms of things going well, things not going well. I kind of, when I approach the world and myself as an opportunity to learn like a classroom, I don't assume that I know anything. I don't assume that I know everything or how things are supposed to be or how things should have went. I've been just like observing and thinking, okay, what what what, what kind of sense can I make of this experience? What kind of sense can I make of that? You know, I recently did a, a live real quick and I never ever talk about like events in the media like that. I just feel like often we give it more negative attention than constructive. But one of the things was that I wanted to highlight the fact that so many things have happened recently and we're talking about it like it's like gossip or like content or just cool to talk about, but we're we're pulling the humanity out of these experiences. You know, people have passed away and we're kind of talking about their lives like it's just like speculation or gimmick or something. And I'm just like, dang, like this guy had a family. He, you know, he was something to somebody and we're not even given that respect. So I did jump on the live because I wanted to kind of share that perspective of approaching the world from a learning. What can we learn from this experience? What can we learn from the things that we talk about and be quiet enough to listen? So in a nutshell, that's kind of been my, one of the the strength of my psychological mirrors this past week. And I'm going to continue to have that as a focus point moving forward. At least I'm going to try to finish off the year with that same perspective of, okay, what can I learn from this? What can be learned from this interaction with this person? What can be learned from this circumstance? What can be learned from this mistake? What can be learned from this blessing? You know, And I hope that it serves me well. So that's been my like strength for the week in terms of my mindset. So what has y'all's been? What's, what's going on with y'all in a piece and stuff like that? For me, I probably would say that um, I've definitely been, and it's it's definitely been a learning curve, but I've been being more intentional about not personalizing all life experiences that I encounter Mm. and not making everything that I experience a fault of my own. You know, Mm. understanding that some things are totally out of my control and it's not, it's not reflective of my worth. You know, I think a lot of times when things, it's, it's one of those weird things where sometimes it depends on, you know, how you grew up and those, those ways of thinking that, that get embedded, you know, and then of course there's also social media and you know everybody's a a motivational speaker and a thought connoisseur and all these things so there's there's this thought process that floats around that's you know it's like every single thing that happens in your life is completely within your control and in some cases it is true for some things but not for everything because you know, you are only in control of yourself. You know, you're coming into contact with things, people, 
processes, procedures that have nothing to do with you. So in all truth and fact, you really can't be in control of every single thing. You can only control how you react to things, you know, how you process things, but you have no control of those external factors, you know? So when things happen and it's, you know, it's, when you have that thought process, you really internalize everything. It's like this, I, I could have done this better and I could have did this better. And it causes you to really beat up on yourself chronically. And that doesn't do good for anybody. Like that's, that's so counterproductive. And especially if you grew up as like a perfectionist, I, for me, that's how I've been for years growing up as a perfectionist, like everything just has to be perfect or else it's just a failure. So I think that's really the space I'm in right now, undoing that thought process. If it doesn't work out exactly how you want it to work out, that doesn't mean it's a failure. It's part of life. Some things happen, some things don't, some things work, some things don't. Some things take a little bit more time. Uh, a little bit more grind, you know, so not to take every disappointment or circumstance as a reflection of your self-worth. So yeah, that's just been the space that I've been in. Like I said, it's a learning curve, but it's it's forcing me to free myself from a lot of, you know, things. It's making me a little bit more willing to take risks and be a little bit more adventurous and not color within the lines. I really didn't realize how boring I was. And I always just chalked it up to, oh, my personality is just, I'm just boring. And I realized it's because I stick to what's safe because I feel like what's safe is I can control those things. So I think it's just that. And then kind of just letting go that false sense of I can control everything and just living like just, just, you know, just experiencing new things and taking risks and just like, just living. I think there's a lot more success and happiness when you let go of that sense of control. I, lo- I love that. I love that you've been in that space, <clears throat> especially as it pertains to a sense of control, because like, we're going to get into it, but as you were talking, I'm just sitting here thinking like, wow, like imagine how much of your behaviors are motivated by a sense of, by wanting to feel in control. And then imagine how much of your self-esteem is like you said, personally identifying with these experiences as a reflection of who you are due to wanting to feel in control. So that was like, that's super dope. And I just love that you're challenging that that narrative in your mind and saying like, one, there is peace in understanding that some things I just simply can't control. And of those things I cannot control, that's still not a reflection of who I am. This is just how things are. You know, there are some things that I can, and even the things that I can control, it doesn't mean that I have to be in control of every single minute of the day. Control is not my identity, you know? I'm here to experience. So I thought that was like super dope. I love I'm I'm here for that. Emotionally, oof, I'm really in a place of trying to find my peaceful place right now because 
I was I was talking <laughs> to Rob and I was telling him I'm like everything around me is just loud. And I and not in the sense of actual loudness, but the emotions and the everything is just loud and it's overwhelming. So I've literally been in a space of trying to find my peace and trying to find my quiet place. I've been in a place of really can't take your call right now. <laughs> I, I, it's not because I don't care and I don't love you. I just can't take your call right now because your call overwhelms me and your situations overwhelm me. So I'm in a space of stop letting everybody else's situation become your situation and stop. Uh, just to echo off Sam, stop internalizing everything. And I find myself internalizing other people's problems. And I'm like, that has nothing to do with me. Your problem is your problem. Not on a cold situation, but if your problem is starting to weigh heavy on me, then that is a problem. So I've been in a space of find your quiet place, find your peace, stop internalizing everybody else's issues, figure out what your issues are. And, you know, like that prayer says, Lord, give me the strength to know the difference, right? Between the things I can changing the things that I can't and be willing to accept what I can't change. So that's really where I've been right now. Also realizing that, dang, like I'm really, I'm really a cool person <laughs> and I'm really worth something, even if nobody else sees what I'm worth. Cause I'm I, every day I look at myself now and I'm like, wait, nah, you're really an awesome person and they're really taking advantage of you. So now I'm trying to figure out what's the next step to stop people from taking advantage. And, you know, excuse my language, stop pouring out my gifts for a better, for lack of better words, you know? So that's literally where I've been emotionally. I've just been, everything's been loud. It's been draining. So now I'm trying to rest and, you know, I shouldn't wake up every day feeling tired and that's what's been happening. So now I'm just trying to center myself and, you know, real big, huge, gigantic flashing light boundaries is what I'm trying to do right now. So that's where I'm at emotionally. That's what's up. So many people can relate to the importance of being still and being quiet. You know, our our rest is something that we often feel like we're not entitled to. Like we feel wrong for resting. We feel like we have to, first of all, pick up the baton from the people that came before us and keep running. But it's like the reason why this life has been such a journey for the people that came before us is so that we can rest, so that we don't have to feel like we constantly have to channel our worth into all of these different paths and all of these different things and all of these different ways of being and stuff like that. And so I kind of just in a way of like working backwards, I wanted to just jump into those types of mindsets that we've kind of put in place because that's a way of challenging the mirrors that we were kind of sat in front of as we were growing up and stuff, right? Because those behaviors that as we're adults now, we're aiming to fix and repair, they came from bad programming of like our upbringing. And it doesn't always have to necessarily be related to family or familiar experiences, Things that you experience in life, period, can position you in front of a mirror without you realizing it. You know what I'm saying? And so let's say for this week, right, 
obviously you we've all learned from the way that we've challenged these things and stuff like that. Why was it important? And you guys kind of got into this a little bit, but why was it important for you to have those that mindset intention? What was this solved a problem? What was the problem that this mindset solved? Like what was what was that? And I'm going to definitely pass it to Danielle because she thinks she's slick, always going second. Like <laughs> you're definitely gonna go first. Tell me, uh, you were ta- you just got finished talking about the value of being quiet and eliminating noise. What was the problem that was solved? What was the issue with the noise in the first place? So the issue for me was when you, everybody else's situation is deafening and I can't hear myself or I can't hear because I'm big on prayer. And somebody said, you know, God comes in a still voice. So if everybody else is deafening, how can I even hear him talking to me? If everything is deafening and I can't hear my thoughts, that's an issue. So that's one of the reasons why I said, okay, I can't do this. I have to find that place. For me, it's solved, like I said, being able to hear my own self think. Because I found myself thinking, and when I was thinking, other people's issues were a part of the thought process. And I'm like, why does what anybody else, what does that have to do with me? Why am I trying to figure out when I should be figuring out what it is I need to do for me? Why am I trying to figure out how to help everybody else? I even said to somebody today, I said, a lot of people are ask holes, A-S-K holes. They'll ask you all kinds of questions, but they don't want the answer. You are ask holes. So I can no longer. Yo, I'm going to need that. You know? (laughs) (laughs) I know that's right. So I have to stop. Break that down one more, just one more time for the the people in the back. Many people are ask ASK holes. You like to ask, oh, this is what I'm going through. Can you help me? And then when you give them a suggestion, every suggestion is wrong, but they don't have one of their own. Or you give them a suggestion and then they come right back to you because you are an ask hole. Stop asking me. I can't help you. And every time I'm helping you, my help for myself decreases. I can't do it. So in now, Putting them in categories like, okay, this person's an asshole. This person is just unnecessarily needy. I could be wrong for saying that, you know, but unnecessarily needy. This person just feels I owe them something. Once I put everybody in those categories, I know who I'm going to answer today, if I'm going to answer you, or if I have you on a do not disturb. Like this pastor said, you got to start labeling people. Don't ask, don't answer one, don't answer two. Don't answer three. Don't. That's how you got to start labeling them in your phone. Don't answer. And put one, two, three, and four next to them. That's how I started doing that. Like, I, I can't. <laughs> I just can't. Too loud. I'm not. Honestly, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> that's not a bad idea to start prioritizing, like, the communication with people and thinking about how much of you it takes to have that phone conversation with this person today, you know? So I, I I respect that. I might what I what I can say is that when you start to prioritize how much it costs to engage with someone, 
it helps you narrow down who you you invest your time and energy in. I had I, I went through that at some point, and when I started, I didn't like do it in terms of titling and tagging, but when I actually started thinking about a lot of those concepts in terms of if I was to prioritize my health and well-being, am I still able to do that and simultaneously hold a conversation with you? When I started doing that, it just kind of made me realize like I had to change my diet in terms of who I'm communicating with and how I'm communicating. You know, and that just that wasn't even just for people that you talk to on the phone. It go, it applies to like who are you following online? It applies to what content you're sharing, what you're engaging in. It applies to where you go with your free time. What are you reading? It's it's really all about what are you taking in? Like what are your nutrition facts in terms of absorbing other people's energy? Right? So, I like that you're I really like that idea of and also, also, I'm, I've also got to a place where it's like, am I putting in more than I'm getting out from you? Not that you owe me anything, but am I giving you more than you giving me? Is it that part? Come because on. Because if Sam. I'm filling you up and my cup runs dry, who fills me up? So now start drinking off my saucer. Whatever falls off, not even out of the cup. When it drops into the saucer and falls off, you can get that. What's in my cup stays in my where cup. Where is the me. collection plate? Because not no truer words have been spoken that's not the space i'm in right now i think i'm in like the aftermath of that but i definitely went through that space a couple months ago where i was just like it was like a hard screech just like a and i was just like hold on i experienced something and i'm looking around and i'm like hey yo where everybody at the people who were calling my phone every day, texting me every day, asking me for this, that, and the other thing. Now I'm in a space where I'm like, okay, I could use, I could use a village, you know? Where y'all at? And I really had to sit and really ponder with that and be like, okay, cool, you know, this is crazy. This is this is crazy. But also. Because I think a lot of people know this. A lot of people who are chronic givers, they know this. They already they know, but it's easier to ignore it because then it 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 denies the work that you have to do. Because there's still some work you got to do. And I think where people drop the baton is at the part where they have to now give themselves permission to say no. A lot of people struggle with that. And when you really break that down even further, then that's when you really get to the point where it's like, okay, well, what does saying yes to everyone do for me? And I think a lot of us, we, at least for me, I was ignoring that. And when I really sat and I thought about it, I was like, okay, you know what it is? (laughs) Truth be told, there's times where I want to say no. I know saying yes will deplete me, inconvenience me, something, but I say yes anyway. Why? Because I'm afraid of the results that saying no will bring. I'm afraid of losing love if I say no, 
But then you got to break that down further and be like, okay, well then that means I'm saying yes to keep your love. And that is also wrong, right? Because when you really look at it, you're not saying, I mean, yes, you want to do it because you don't want the people around you to suffer or, you know, be at some type of loss or lack. But also what is really your driving force in saying yes to every single thing? If I say yes to this, you'll keep loving me. If I say yes to this, I'll have you around. So I'm going to keep saying yes, even if it's depleting me. Because I know if I do the opposite, I'm going to lose you. But then the drum roll to that is if you say no and you lose them, they don't deserve to be there. Period. And I think that's the crux that I came to. And I was just like, all right, this is this is this is the final countdown for you. You're gonna have mm-hmm. to be okay with losing some folks. You understand? If I yeah. if I'm me, if me prioritizing me makes me lose you. You don't deserve to be around me. You come on, come, preach, Shando, Hallelujah. Sam is talking that talk, talk, talk. <laughs> but then also, I, I it, it. It, it's that space, and it lets space, you know, for people who do love you and stick around, irrespective of what you can or can't do for them. It now opens up that space for those people to come in your life. But so, can yeah. I just ask you, Sam? Do you find that once you figured out that, did you now go, hmm, so you genuinely didn't love me because I had to stick with you or do something for you to for you to love me? Did you find that? So funny thing about that, because then that's when maturity comes in, which who wants to be mature when you like, hold up, this is about me. I don't got no, I don't got no time to consider what you, you know, but this is where maturity comes in. I think for a two month period, I was angry, infuriated, because that was my thought process. Like, yo, so you really didn't, you really didn't love me. Like, you just, you know, that's crazy. Like, all the things I did for you, I, 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 when I start running down the list, and I'm like, yo, that's crazy, because, and then I was like, okay, well, me being in this angry space is not doing anything for me either. It's a revolving door, and I'm strong for, like, a two-week period, and then I break down again, because it's just so hard to fathom why. You know, people who you love will treat you like that. But then I also had to sit with the fact that a lot of people are operating out of their traumas. A lot. A lot of people love you down. They really do. But some people just operate out of their space of trauma and they don't even know it. They don't even know it. So in my case, one of the people... I really looked at, I really had to sit and look at it. And I'm like, yo, you operating from a space of trauma where at one point in your life, when you were experiencing that trauma, manipulation was a form of survival for you. You manipulated people in order to survive. So now you are no longer in that threat, in that traumatic space, but you now are stuck with that thought process. So even the people who you love intrinsically, you actually love them, you will manipulate to get what you want because that is the thought process you're stuck with until you deal with that trauma. So it allowed, it freed me and allowed me to operate in a space of forgiveness and, you know, allowed me to now heal 
because I think a lot of people don't realize that you really do need to forgive people to fully heal. And forgiveness don't mean, oh yeah, I let you back in my life. Forget forgiveness does not equal access. I could forgive you and you could be good over there, but I gotta let that go in order to sew that wound up completely. So that's really the point that I came to. And I was just like, okay, I gotta let this go. I gotta, I gotta give you grace to do whatever it is you gotta do over there without any expectation. You know, I could we could never reconnect again. But I have to give you that grace to deal with what you're dealing with over there and love you from a distance while I work on healing myself. And in order for me to fully, not partially, not when I see a picture, I catch an attitude, in order for me to fully heal, I have to forgive you. And I really had to look at them as human, fully human, remove what you did to me and just look at you as a human being. And that's how I was able to come to that space. You know what? What's what? What I what's one of the power? The most powerful things that you're going through is your self rearrangement and your self healing process is helping you recognize the broken patterns in other people and not take it personal. You know what I mean? Like, and so when when you say that forgiveness is about you. We always hear that, but we never really understand what that means. You know what I mean? And you're 10,000% right. Like when, when you come to a place of forgiveness, you're, you're not allowing yourself to be held hostage to that experience anymore, right? Because the opposite of forgiveness is holding that grudge. It is holding on and internalizing. It is taking it personal. It is holding other people accountable for that, and that, that transgression. But yeah. So a fresh start for yourself in that emotion to say, I'm allowed to have this transaction again without leveraging danger over it. That that is that is a space of where forgiveness comes from. And a lot of the things that you mentioned in terms of like for example, you spoke about People have, like, let's say if you were manipulative as a form of survival, or even if you shut down as a form of survival and you're no longer in that circumstance, but your behaviors are still reflecting that, this, these are the, 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 the hallmarks of what people consider like PTSD, which stands for post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, essentially the difference between a behavior pattern and a disorderly behavior pattern is just that disorders are considered an interference of your everyday life. What they don't take into consideration, this is where the clinical aspect falls short, is that some people have normalized their life around the disorder. So it's not a disorder yes. for them. It's order. Yes. Right? <laughs> it's yes. function. And if it's disrupting your relationships and ability to keep and have those healthy relationships, that is disorder. Mm -hmm. But I think on the clinical side, they look at it as far as, you know, your daily activities. So interfering with you being able to work, interfering with being able to grocery shop, you know, cook, things like that, things that you need for survival. If it's interfering with that, then only then is it considered a disorder. But if you can't keep a healthy relationship, if your relationships are, and 
relationship meaning not just romantic, but, you know, platonic relationships, family, you know, siblings, coworkers, all that. If you're, if that, those thought processes is interfering with your ability to keep and have healthy relationships, that is disorder. Yeah. It's, 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 it's very much easier for someone being an outsider, having never experienced whatever to say, okay, as me, as this person, this is my baseline. And based on what I understand the world to be, you're disrupted, right? But that that's only going to reflect in a certain way. Let's say you have a certain balance to your life and you start acting different. That might be a hallmark to say, oh, this is a disruptive behavior. Maybe you're not coping with something. But so many people cope really well with trauma. Well, I don't want to say really well, but I want to say unnoticed. They're high performing. High performing. Very much yeah. normalize their day to surround the trauma. This is how cycles kind of start. Because if you are a product of dysfunction, you operating normally is being able to adapt to dysfunction. So your entire life is going to be in respects to that. So people will look at the flow of your life and say, oh, you're, you would think that you're functioning just fine because the flow of your life is based around this disorder versus you having a normal, uh, or I don't want to say normal, but a different flow and injecting this abnormality. And then you're like, oh, I'm not flowing the same. So sometimes it's, it's harder to recognize whether or not you are disorderly or dysfunctioned. And even if you don't have a classifiable disorder, it does not mean that you don't you don't process or deal with post-traumatic stress. There's this book out called, and I haven't read this, but I've read up on it. It's called Why Zebras Don't Have Ulcers. And the book is about how animals in the wild on a regular basis, multiple times a day, have to fend for their life. When a zebra is running in the wild, this is a, you are about to die. This is a murder stress response. But zebras, they go about, they, you know, they see a lion, they're running, so their, their hormones is up, cortisol, adrenaline is high, 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 because you're about to die, right? And then you hide and everything's fine. And what do they do? They go back to grazing in the grass like nothing happened, right? And so with humans, that same level of life or death, we experience that in a traffic jam. And even more so, we don't, that stress doesn't leave our body, right? You can't on a Wednesday wake up and Somebody just run up in your house ready to kill you and gun you down, kidnap you and so-so. And now this happened and then the next day you're fine. You, you can't just go back to that, to that normal. So a part of our intelligence is that we retain this, this stress in a different way. It changes us. It changes how we do and operate things. So to, to understand that pattern of behavior is to understand that just because your life appears, or anyone's, just because a person's life appears to be in order or perfect or, or shaped perfectly, it does not mean that there is not unhealthy aspects of their routine. It just means that they've 
they know how to hide it really well because their world has adapted around it. You know, because whatever they've experienced, they've shaped the rest of the world to accommodate to that experience. You know, so they're living in a handicap almost. But but yeah, I, I just I think it's so important to to start to recognize the fact that it's okay to say my my mental health is is not in a good place. It's okay to say that I'm struggling with something. It's okay to say I don't think this is healthy the way that I do this. It's okay to do that cuz that's when we start to open our minds up for another alternative. You know what I mean? So but listen, I feel like this episode is already kind of like touching on so many things. So I'm kind of like in so many different directions with the with the certain things I want to talk about. But I want to take a shift and talk about like how are we recognizing that there's dysfunction? You know, we went around and we talked about how us employing healthier thinking strategies is solving a problem and what that problem are is. How do you recognize unhealthy or toxic environments? How can someone, like, what would, how, what advice would you give to someone who, if they grew up in an unhealthy and toxic family, what do they need to look out for in, in order to avoid that in their personal life, in their adult life? It's so crazy that you said, how can we avoid it? I feel like some of us don't even avoid it. I feel like we walk around with our eyes wide shut and walk directly right back into it. Mm -hmm. First thing is you have to actually realize that that's a thing. Because some people are just like, oh, well, that's just how my family was. Or, oh, that's just how this person was. So until they could even recognize that, hey, this was toxic. This was not okay. This was not okay for my mind, body, or soul. Then, you know, there's nothing you could do. Once you accept that, then it's now, okay, John said ABC to me. You know what? Mom used to say this to me a lot, and this made me feel this way. So if I didn't like when mom said it and it made me feel this way, now John said it, mm, you know what? Maybe John is not who I need to be with. Like, you have to first see the situation, admit there was a situation, and then compare. You know what I mean? And and see the same traits. It may not be exactly the same, but there's always something. There's always a red flag that shows you or something that makes you, first of all, it's going to be a trigger. I don't care what nobody say. There's going to be a trigger that when you hear that thing, you're like, Mm-mm. it's something about that. It's, it used to happen all the time. There's that trigger that naturally tells you, mm, this is not where I want to be at all. I'm so glad you said that because the word trigger popped in my head when you, when when he asked that question. And I'm like, that's how you know. I feel like naturally our minds, our bodies, we have a natural way. There, there, there's an equilibrium. And if, if something is out of order, you'll see it. It's like a thing of it like a pimple, you know? If your face is usually clear and you start getting a pimple, you know, pops up out of nowhere. And depending on how the pimple looks, you know, sometimes they tell you there's a specific way. If a pimple looks this way, you're eating too much sugar. And if it looks, but that's only because we know what the base, your body naturally knows what the baseline is. And if there's something out of order, your body responds to that. 
So I think naturally our emotions, our thought processes, our, you know, our mind, it it has that as well, where triggers are not always bad. Triggers let you know something is wrong. What needs to happen with triggers is you now knowing how to manage those and not allow it to interfere with, you know, your life or cause you to react in a way that's unhealthy to you. But just because something triggers you, the trigger itself isn't what's the issue. It's how you react and how you respond to that trigger. But the triggers to me, at least to me, this is not by no means like, oh, Bible. But to me, triggers are good because it lets you, you know, I don't like this. I don't like this. This needs to be addressed. If every time you say ABC, I feel some type of way or my palms start getting sweaty or my heart start beating. Something's wrong here. Now I got to sit with it and figure out why every time A happens, B happens as a, a result. Is it me being overly sensitive? Is it me misinterpreting what the other person's saying? Is it the other person who's being unhealthy or, you know, unnecessarily brash or anything like that? You got to really now triage it and figure out like what's really going on here. But that trigger is really what lets you know something isn't, something isn't right. Something's in the milk. Like I need to, I need to sit with this. And I think, you know, there's always a lot of talk, especially on social media, everything gets tainted on social media. You know, now people try to avoid the word triggers and kind of think people use triggers as a buzzword and stuff like that. But I just really don't think there's a lot of education. And by education, I mean, not everything that's clinical is Bible. Not everything that's clinical works for everybody. And I think in the realm of mental health, that is especially true because if it's not, if I can't go look it up in a textbook, it don't make sense. And what people don't understand is that mental has a lot to also do with your emotion, your soul, your spirit. So it will never be textbook for everybody. But yeah, having those triggers and being able to, okay, what am I experiencing right now? For some people, it manifests differently, but I know for me, it's a very physical manifestation. So that for me is how I learned to stop and say, what, I don't like this. What's happening? Like, what, what's going on right now? Is my, is my heart racing? My husband actually pointed out to me that I, I do a tap thingy with my foot. Like I start tapping my foot really, really fast. He's like, when you're annoyed, you do that. I honestly never noticed it because I got so used to doing it. And he was the one that was just like, I noticed he would ask me like, you good? There's a certain, a certain person that would come around our family. And every time they come around, he seen me do it. It's like, are you good? I'm like, I'm fine. Like, what are you talking about? I'm fine. And then he pointed out to me like, your foot. I'm like, okay, my foot. You know, and I think naturally we kind of be knowing something's off and we get defensive when somebody kind of shines a spotlight on something we're not ready to address yet. So I got defensive, like, what are you you talking about? Like, there's nothing wrong with my foot. He's like, every time X, Y, Z pops up and starts talking, your foot starts doing that thing. Are you good? It's like, oh, I didn't say it to him, but now I had to go back and be like, okay. (laughs) Why is that happening? What's happening here? 
so yeah, the trigger part, 150,000% knowing what is happening with you. You don't even have to know why it's happening, but just understanding something different is happening. I was like this, now I'm like this. And it happens every time this happens. What is that? That's really the conversation that we have to have with ourselves. And that conversation doesn't always require talking to somebody else. For me, a lot of the things that I've had an aha moment about was internal discussions that I have with myself, like really sitting down and going through those thought processes. So yeah, your triggers will definitely let you know, you know, something's wrong, you know, and then like, as if, as it pertains to like people, you know, you want to be around people who you leave them feeling refreshed. You leave them feeling renewed right? That doesn't mean you're depending on people for your happiness. But if I go around you and every time I leave, I feel like, and I don't, I don't mean in, you know, in the, in the realm of like, if you're an introvert, you know, being around people, it kind of drains you after a while. But I mean, like your whole, your whole persona, like you just feel unwell. You just feel unhappy. You feel less than you feel depleted if you're around people or even in spaces there's some spaces that you go in and every time you leave that space it's like ugh, like you just feel like you want to wash something off of you pay attention to that pay attention to that whatever you wear whatever it is you believe in spirits energy something is off pay attention to that i want to really expand on the relationship between our triggers the relationship between our emotions, our thoughts, and all of those things. I I agree that there's not a lot of education surrounding mental health. We don't we don't even have the um, the literacy. We don't have the words. We don't have the knowledge and stuff. And a lot of that is because there's been so much gatekeeping around who's allowed to have these conversations, who's allowed to intervene, who's allowed to help. And I know that we definitely covered. A lot of this in episode one, we talked about that. But because of that, that's that's the truth. That's the reason why a lot of these things are not talked about as openly as they should be. And it's always been really strange to me that you just can't seem to to find your way in in like when you as you're growing up, you just that you can't seem to find your way into a conversation or a learning environment that highlights these things. That's, it's just so strange because it feels like if we as adults have a handle on this, how are we always surprised by these elementary emotional dilemmas? Like, why is it that we don't know how to do these things? But the passing down of this information is is quite new. So I I do want to expand though on triggers, um, you mentioned that triggers are not always bad. I will tell you that like triggers are are never bad. Their triggers all triggers and emotional responses, they're there to teach you something. And we actually teach our emotions what we need to learn. So those signals it has a lot to do with how we process events mentally. It's kind of like if your mind is the teacher, your emotions are the teaching assistant. You know, so your mind is telling the TA to say, okay, well, we need to keep our eye out on this, blah, 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 blah. When we're in situations like this, we need a signal because da, 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 you know? And if someone is in a healthy relationship with you, they should be examining 
the connection between your thoughts and your emotions and your behaviors. They should be able to tell that, you know. I have to, <laughs> as a counselor, I have to like keep a almost a mental record of everyone I work with, that relationship between their mind and their emotions and their behaviors. And when I kind of remind them of themselves, like, oh, well, you know, you're feeling this way because when you're in these types of situations, this is what happens. And this is how you behave and this is actually what you need. They'll be like, how do you know that about me? I'm like, I'm supposed to know that stuff about you, but they feel bad because they don't notice it about themselves. And you're not going to really, it's hard to notice that about yourself unless you're actively putting that time in to be mindful because you're too busy being you to observe you being you. (laughs) You know, you're too busy being you to study you. That is why people have like these, a therapist should be able to understand those patterns and teach them back to you so that you then become aware of them, you know? But I feel like sometimes we we all get these signals. We all get these, we call them red flags, but sometimes we ignore them and we negotiate with them because of our past history with relationships and what it means to say no or what it means to distance ourselves. Like we talked about in the first episode, we talked about love being used as a leverage and love should never be used as a leverage. But we've processed something in our life that has taught us to code that type of reaction in us to avoid the outcome, you know? And so often recognizing toxic things around you has to start with revisiting the toxic experiences that you've already been through so that you have a good temperature. And it doesn't mean confront. Everything is not confront and confront. Healing is not always about getting everybody in a room and hashing it out. That's not healthy for everybody. And depending on where you are, that might not be what you need. Sometimes that can be more damaging. Yes. Okay. But revisiting it can be anything, whether it's your own talk with yourself, whether it's for some people, it's reviewing some old photos and like actually being in that moment through that photo album. Um, For some people, it's journaling or podcasting, whatever it is, it's just reflecting. And so that's really that when you reflect on your life, you allow the teacher and the teaching assistant to have a meeting. That's what you're doing. You're having a meeting with your mind and your emotions. Your emotions are never wrong. They just haven't been updated because they ain't had a meeting with the mind in a long time. <laughs> so they're, 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 they're doing what they're supposed to do. They just need an update. So having that moment of reflection with yourself, that's we in a meeting. My mind and my emotions and my behavior and my attitude and my perception When we reflect, we're having a meeting. We're talking. We're talking about what's new. You know, that's that's one of the biggest conversations we don't have with ourselves between the mind and emotion. What's new? We 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 don't update. We're working on what's old. But sometimes all it takes is to be like, what's new? How did that go? What what's some new things that we gotta start putting into place? You know what I mean? 
And it can be just that simple to just give y'all, give yourselves the update and say, hmm, let's try this. And your emotions will follow. They will follow. Mm -hmm. They just need that update. That's so I encourage people to, you know, for anyone who's listening, don't, if you feel something, it's a valid feeling. You cannot be wrong. You didn't choose to feel the way you feel. You can't be wrong for what you feel. You know, you have more ownership over your thoughts than you do over your feelings. You can choose your thoughts, but you can't really choose your feelings. How we're taught to feel about things comes to us before we are even aware of our thoughts. Feelings start in the womb. You don't even have a fully developed brain before you, you know, but them feelings start instantly. Your feelings is your first learning. That's your first intelligence. By the time you are even able to form thoughts and opinions, you've graduated Feelings University. You've been graduated. So the thoughts, they, they can't. But now that you have a diary, not a diary, an index, a library of feelings, now it's time to think about the world and assign feelings to experiences. Right. And let you me know? just plug that, you know, your feelings are never wrong. Your feelings are your feelings. Your feelings are valid. I think where people kind of miss the mark is that they always assign their feelings to, or they, they always give someone else the responsibility of their feelings. And that's not always true, right? Some things, some feelings you feel, it's because somebody did X, Y, Z. But sometimes, and I'm speaking from experience, sometimes the things that we feel and the feelings that we have, they're valid, but they're as a result of our mindset and our interpretation and our perspective of a particular thing, which may not always be fact, right? Mm -hmm. Because you spoke about lenses at the beginning. If you're looking through, you're looking at something through a particular lens, that doesn't mean that that's fact, right? If you think about photography and you have, you know, you have these lens that like distort the image and make certain things look smaller and certain things look bigger. When you're looking through the lens, that's not the actual size of the image, but that's what you're seeing looking through those lens. That doesn't mean that that is fact, right? So you're still seeing what you're seeing. What you're seeing is actually in fact what you're seeing, but that doesn't mean what you're seeing is reality, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So we definitely have to just be mindful of, and it's a growing, it's it's a le definitely a learning process. Like, I don't think it's anything that will all, there's no one person that will fully conquer that, mm -hmm. you know, because our minds and our perspectives and those things are always changing and transforming, you know, based on the experiences that we have and things that, mm -hmm. you know, that we're learning and retaining. But that's just something to be mindful of. Yeah. You know, your feelings and your thoughts and those emotions, those are always valid mm -hmm. based on the lens that you're looking through. You just now have to determine, do I need to change these lens? Mm -hmm. Is this lens cracked? Mm -hmm. yeah. Do I need a 50 mm? Right? You know, all them photography. A zoom? Do I need a zoom lens? Do I need a zoom? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? And there will yeah. be those cases, in fact, where you take off the lens and when you take off, when you take the lens off is exactly what it is. That is fine too. That is fine mm -hmm. too. But we have to be fluid in that understanding that 
the way we see things ain't always the way it is. Yeah. And we have to be willing to sit with that. I think that probably was one of the hardest things for me to sit with in my journey. Cause it's just like, I ain't wrong. What are you talking about? Like, I'm not wrong. But then it's just like, you're not. What you're feeling is fact. Mm-hmm. That's what you're feeling. But now you got to evaluate how you're looking at this particular situation and determine if the way you're looking at it and the lens that you're looking through is actually what's taking place. Right. And once you learn that process, things it's, it's really a freeing space to be in. Right. Uh Because there's some lens that we use that, like I mentioned before, we look in through a lens and everything that we see through that lens is my fault. It's my fault. And this is my fault. And and then you go through those thought processes and you thought processes and you start assigning things. Everything I touch goes to shit and everything. This is the lens you looking out of. Uh So when you adjust that and you you even knowing that because it comes with this thing now where especially, you know, older generation has a habit of doing that. And some young people too, but you see it a lot in the older generation. That's just how I am. That's your refusal to adjust your lens. Mm-hmm. And I want to add some um, context and literacy around that. What you're describing is called a complex. When you have a psychological complex, essentially what it is, is that You've lived certain experiences that that has designed a fixed lens for you, and you always can only see through that lens, and that lens comes with very particular interpretation. That lens is going to control the image, but oftentimes it's a distortion based on a past experience and stuff. So when you've gone through certain things or have normalized dysfunction, you tend to have a certain complex. So if you, you've you heard of this in a case of like Napoleon complex, you've heard of people like, oh, if you're small, then you look at the world as like constantly challenging you or blah, 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 blah. To an extent, those things are true, but there are a variety of complexes. There's Peter Pan complex, which is like, you never grow up. You're still functioning as a child. You look at things as ch- children do. There is... Electra complex, which is more so talking about the psychosexual desires and things. There's so many different complexes that are out there. But the the fact of it is that when you have this program, when you've programmed a lens for your protection to look through the world, you know, I, I say I use for your protection lightly because some of these lenses hurt you. They don't necessarily protect you from anything. They invent harm. They create new harm. Um, so, but you have this fixed lens on your camera that you can't remove, and that lens is not necessarily healthy. So, I wanted to to just add some literacy around that, as well as add some some understanding around um, how feelings like translate into realities. If you think of your feelings as like alphabet, like letters, your ideas would be words and then your narratives will be sentences, right? So you have the alphabet. How you use those letters, you have control over. Some people who do the the deep work, sometimes they may learn to speak another language, right? You learn a new alphabet. And that's great if you do. 
But a lot of us are working on the same alphabet emotionally. Our lens and our complex is going to determine how we use that alphabet, what words we use. You know what I mean? Those are our ideas. And then we come up with narratives in our head about understandings of the world. This works this way. This person is like this. So that means blah, 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 blah. All of that is a combination of those emotions and you access them and rearrange them based on your understanding. I know Sam saw me cringe when she said, that's just how I am. I was like, oh, that is a trigger for me. Oh, I can't stand it here. That's how I am. In my head, you don't want to change. You like being who you are. And it doesn't matter if you offend or affect somebody else. That is a major trigger for me. Yeah, it is. Do you guys feel like whether it is your psychological mirror or your complex or any of these lenses, do you feel like there have been parts of you that are silenced or erased it or erased due to the lens that you were given or the lens that you created has approaching the world from a particular perspective resulted in you self-sacrificing yourself, self-erasing, self-silencing? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So growing up, I was the oldest, right? Which means parentification. You know, usually that's the case. Mm -hmm. So. And I grew up in a, you know, my family's Caribbean, Jamaican. So, you know, there are a lot of cultural things that come with that. One of those things being kids don't really have the emotional autonomy to express themselves as it pertains to expressing how they're feeling about something or how a particular situation or a particular word or phrase or whatever makes them feel. And I experienced that growing up and then take it a step further in my teen years, you know, I was heavy in church and stuff like that. And I was a very, I want to say outspoken person. I think that came from not being able to be outspoken as a kid. So the minute I did find some space or some opportunity to express myself, I took it. Granted, now you have a level of emotional immaturity because, and which is not a bad thing, you know, 12, 13, 14, you're learning these things. So with that, you're also learning time, place, delivery, all of those things. I didn't have anybody around me to teach me those things. So I was just... You say anything to me, my mouth was a Uzi. Like it was just, you know, so then I got a reputation of being confrontational. If you step on my toe, I'm gonna let you know at that particular point, I don't care if it's in the middle of a wedding. I don't care if it's in the middle of inauguration. I'm gonna let you know how I feel, period. So that came with, like I said, the label of confrontational. And... I think I just got to the point the later I got into my teen years, I'm just like, I don't want that label because it's 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 misinterpreting my intent. My intent is for you to see me and hear me and understand how your your behavior or what you're saying or whatever is affecting me. That is my my only intent. And it's not being seen that way. So as a result, 
I'm gonna shut up. And I developed that bottling up things and people, yo, people, especially after I had my son, people got away with saying some crazy stuff. 17, you got a baby. Ooh, you could just imagine the black community. You could just imagine the things that people said, friends, family, crazy things. I had friends that would <laughs> make comments about the size or the shape of my son's head and all types of things. And I, shut up. Don't say anything. Because if you say something, they're going to think you're trying to argue. They're going to think you're trying to do this. They're going to think you tried to do that. And I carried that my late teens, my early 20s. And I think it wasn't until I was like maybe like 24, 25 that I started to just fiddle with the idea that maybe I'm not responsible for how you feel when I express myself. As long as I'm expressing myself in a healthy way. So that's when I started doing the work on how to express myself in a healthy way, not being led by anger, right? Angry, me being angry, there's nothing wrong with me being angry, but I can't communicate when I'm angry because what I am feeling and what I'm thinking doesn't always come out the way I intended when I'm angry. So now I have to learn to sit with that anger, nurse that anger, right? Allow myself to feel how I'm feeling, but then save my communication for after I calm down, after I resolve that anger, then I communicate. And it's a new way of life for me now, right? But like you mentioned, it it really, having that experience from a childhood child coming all the way up, it really did shape how I communicated. I, I basically stopped. I was still talkative and having fun and da 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 and everything, I, 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 all that stuff, turn up, whatever, whatever. But you say something and it makes me feel bad. I'm not gonna say anything. I'm not gonna say anything. You'll probably the mo- you'll probably with me. I think it was more so I shut down, but not in a way that was like super drastic. I wasn't denying calls or anything like that. But you could see a very visible shift. In my in my in my demeanor and in my personality, I would kind of just just think of it like a candle burning, and you put the lid on, not not blow it out. You put the lid on. How that slow fading of the light before it goes out. That was me. Say something to offend me, and that's exactly just that's the that's the best representation representation I could come up with. I'll just just fade until just you don't hear anything. You figure I'm there. Sam, you're good. Oh yeah yeah yeah, I'm fine. All right. Knowing on the inside, I'm in shards, in shambles, but I had to deal with that process of really understanding that expressing myself is not a bad thing, you know, and I think we don't teach our kids a lot how to express themselves. It's more so don't express, not, okay, you're, you're experiencing anger. That's okay. Feel that. That's a valid feeling. God himself experiences anger, but here's a healthy way to do it. So, yeah, I would definitely say that, you know, life, it, 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 it has, you know, that's probably the biggest thing for me, you know, and I still struggle with it sometimes. Sometimes I still do. Somebody says something or does something and I'm just like, I want to say something. But again, that other thought process I mentioned of like, but if I say this and if I just let them know that it hurt my feelings in, a, in the sweetest, most calmest way, I wonder if they'll start to treat me different. I wonder if they're not want to talk to me as much anymore, you know, but then that's also their own lens, right? 
Because you got to think about now when you tell people, hey, you stepped on my toe, what are they internalizing? Oh, you're saying I'm an F up. Are you saying I'm this? Are you saying, no, I'm not. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying that what you said yesterday while we were sitting at brunch in front of several people, it hurt my feelings. So, yeah, I'm still I'm still working on that, still learning that, but that's definitely one of the biggest ones for me, learning that it's okay, taking off that lens of, nope, just shut up. Keep your mouth shut and you'll have everybody around you and they'll love you forever. No. You'll have everybody around you and they'll love you forever, but you'll be absolutely miserable. But Lord, I don't have to say nothing because I'm just telling my whole life story. I have nothing to say now. No, when I tell you, like I say it, no. West Indian family, growing up, you can't say, because anyhow you say, but all you have to say is, but mom. You're talking back? And it's like, wait a minute, Jesus. I just, I was just trying to explain my side of the story. This is all I wanted to do. So every, when I say Sam is literally right now mirroring everything like just this week i had a conversation and they were just like oh you don't even say much anymore no because even if i say hey can you not it's like well, why she gotta say that so now it's like you know what i told everybody and they laugh i'm in a season of shut up that's the season i'm in i'm in a season of shut up because people say things and they're not very nice and i really just sit and i smile and i'm like wow that's how you felt. But if I, God forbid, were to respond, not even echoing the same attitude or energy, they're just clutching their pearls like, oh, my God, how can she say that? And it's like, but I didn't say anything. So when I say I, Sam and me is just one in the same, it's ridiculous. You know, I even had like the other day I had to say to somebody, OK, all right. All right. Uh, OK. Stop talking to me. That's that's my thing. Stop talking to me. Stop. And I walk away because it's just a lot. I literally am in a place that Sam is in right now where I just, I literally, and they always say, I know when you're mad because you get quiet and you just smile. Yeah, I smile. But I will tell you this. In my head, I have punched you about 20 times in the face. I'm not even going to lie. I'm going to be honest. I have punched Punch, chop, slice, listen. I have spotted you. This is Sparta. (laughs) But I am smiling in silence. Mm. I promise you. But Mm -hmm. everything Sam said is literally my life growing up. That's why I found it so... I was just like, Lord, I ain't really got nothing to say. (laughs) Sam Mm -hmm. hit it on like the nail on the head for real. Mm -hmm. I want to jump. There's We're spiraling into like this this concept of inner child. And I want to, I know, I want to jump into it. I feel like that's where that's where we're headed. Let me do a quick check-in. Y'all got time today? <laughs> Math time. <laughs> Come on with it, Cletus. Come on, Cletus. This is what we're going to do. I'm going to chop this up as like a part one, and then I'm going to send a new link to y'all right now for us to jump into a part two because... The listeners need all the all the guanin, and we are <laughs> we're already an hour and fifteen in. So I want to just chop this up here. I'm going to conclude this one, and I will actually release both episodes at the same time. So just so people can like listen and then come back because 
you don't want to miss none of this. This is this is free therapy right here. Okay, okay, you can't miss your. Do not miss your group. So, for anyone that is finishing up here, thank you for tuning in. Um, just make sure you go back and click the part two so that you can pick up where we left off. Uh, make sure that you are liking, subscribing, sharing this conversation with people that can benefit from it. We got to push these conversations and push these narratives and all of that good stuff. We're streaming everywhere. And this just, yeah, click the next episode.